Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Animals have long been revered in mythology. We've depicted them as everything from gods to evil spirits, and sometimes a little of both. So it wasn't unusual for a team of researchers to discover that in 300 BC, the Maya people, indigenous to Central America, used jewel fowl extensively in their drawings and artwork. The ancient Maya had one of the most advanced civilizations in the world at the time, and from the amount of artwork the researchers found, it was clear that they had a deep love for one bird in particular. In fact, researchers found it everywhere in Maya archaeology and iconography, and even on ancient calendars. It turns out that the Maya viewed this bird as a vessel of the gods and had celebrated their featherly friend accordingly. Much of the Maya imagery portrayed the animal as a godlike figure. Immensely important to their culture, the bird even stood in place of gods during their religious ceremonies. Represented as elite and gifted with power, it wasn't surprising that one Mayan ruler included the bird as part of his royal nickname. The Mayans worshipped these birds and held them in such high regard that they buried them in temples and even alongside human beings, perhaps as a way for their beloved animals to offer companionship in the afterlife. Now, although the Maya practiced agriculture, they didn't domesticate a lot of animals. So, in an effort to learn more about the bird's life with the Mayan culture and traditions, researchers examined the bird's bones, and this is where they made an unexpected discovery. Yes, there was evidence to suggest that the Maya sacrificed a few of them. No one in the Maya culture was safe from the occasional sacrifice, it seems. But it was what the Maya didn't do that those researchers found so surprising. You see, none of these birds had been eaten. Of course, the Maya weren't the only people to worship birds, or even this particular bird. In fact, the same bird played a variety of roles in the folklore of different Native American tribes. Some legends portrayed it as a wily, overly proud trickster. In other ancient tales, it's seen as a shy and elusive creature. In Aztec mythology, there's even a powerful sorcerer and bird god whose name translates loosely as either Jade Bird, Night Bird, or Sickness God, depending on the sources you read. In ancient manuscripts, he's shown as mostly bird, sporting the animal's prized green plumage. And in his animal form, it's said that the bird god could cleanse people of contamination, absolve them of guilt, and even alter their fate. But this deity had a dark side to him for sure, and not just because he was mostly seen at night. In Aztec mythology, the people knew him as a formidable god of disease and plague who ruled 13 days of the Aztec calendar. While in his mostly human state, ancient manuscripts and artwork depict him slightly bent over and with black and white eyes, an image reserved only for the evil gods. And this sacred Central American bird almost became America's national icon, losing out to the bald eagle, much to the disappointment of Benjamin Franklin. Of course, this bird is still celebrated today, and while we don't bury them in temples, we certainly do what the Mayans never did— We eat them. After all, 
How else could we possibly celebrate Thanksgiving without the turkey? The brothers were securely tied to the table, and that's when the lights went out. Suddenly, musical instruments appeared from nowhere, seemingly playing on their own. Ghostly forms floated around the table, and unseen hands tugged at the clothing of the audience members. Gifted performers Ira and William Davenport were a sensation wherever they traveled. They began their stage careers in 1855, ten years into the spiritualist movement, when Ira was 16 and William was 14. Once, they'd told friends, they'd managed to levitate their sister around the family living room during a seance. The boy's father managed them, and by the end of their first year, the Davenport brothers were performing in New York City, thrilling audiences with their complicated escapes from various knots and ropes. Their signature act, though, was called the Spirit Cabinet. About the size of a small closet, the Spirit Cabinet allowed the Davenport brothers to work away from bright spotlights and peering eyes. Unlike other spiritualism acts at the time, the Davenports often invited audience members onto the stage to take part in the act. A spectator was instructed to enter a third cabinet, and once inside, the door was closed. The brothers were bound and locked inside their own cabinets. Within moments, the doors of the spectator's cabinet flew open and he was ejected, his coat gone, necktie around one leg, with a tambourine seated on his head. A stage assistant opened the brothers' cabinets, reassuring the audience that the Davenports were still inside, securely bound, just as they'd been moments before. Skeptics, eager to debunk the brothers as frauds, were occasionally invited to tie the brothers in, often drawing blood. The ropes didn't make a difference, though. Once the cabinet doors were closed, the instruments played, filling the room with spirit music, while disembodied hands appeared through openings in the exterior walls. The Spirit Cabinet Act became a sensation, prompting spiritualists to claim proof of spirit phenomena. Critics weren't so sure, though, and called the brothers mere magicians. The Davenports, though, never claimed to be either, saying it was up to the audience to decide. Years later, Ira befriended another magician, a man you may have heard of, named Harry Houdini. After Ira's death, Houdini wrote about the Davenport brothers in his book called A Magician Amongst the Spirits. It seems Ira once told Houdini that he and his brother had never proclaimed their belief in spiritualism in public. Sherlock Holmes creator Sir Arthur Conan Doyle also was a practicing spiritualist and had a different view. You see, Doyle claimed that Ira confided in him privately as well, admitting that he indeed was a practicing spiritualist. So which was it? Had Ira Davenport told the two famous men two entirely different things? Well, the answer came in 1998, when a skeptic investigator examined newspaper clippings, notes, and photos from the Davenport brothers' scrapbook, eventually concluding that Houdini and Doyle were both right. Ira was a spiritualist, although he and his brother used effects and trickery to accomplish the deeds others attributed to spirits. But that's not really the point, is it? From Houdini to Copperfield to modern street magic, we all like to be entertained by illusions, sleight of hand, disappearing objects, or tricks that defy logic. They sit on the edge of the believable and the absurd, but still have this power to draw us in, and to fill us with delight. Whatever the motivation a performer might have, the results are often eye-opening and unforgettable. 
It might not always be real, but it's certainly entertaining. And sometimes, that's enough, isn't it? I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious.